I have two Sundays today and next Sunday, um, and that's it for me. And the um, uh, we typically go through a book of the Bible, and these last two Sundays I've really been kind of wrestling with what to share and to be an encouragement and challenge and all that. And so um, today we're going to be looking at this kind of a survey of, of Jesus to the seven churches, kind of a devotional type survey. Next week we're going to be um, looking at what a continuing church is and what the scriptures call that to be and um, and kind of an overview there, kind of as a challenge. And, um, we'll, and so we're looking forward to, to these things. Um, anyway, and I love that song, Jesus Paid It All. Not some or partial or what's in the past, but all. And so um, Reese read for us in our scripture reading earlier the greeting to the seven churches, the Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. And those of you that are in the Sunday school hour, that kind of flies in the face of that teaching that there was a time that he was not or that he was a created being or whatnot. We're looking at false religions and things about that. And then there's this vision there. And if you look in your copy of the Bible or in your app or whatnot, um, that where the, the, the overview of the book of Revelation, I want to read a couple passages, we'll pray, we'll jump in together. So, Revelation 1, verse 1, the prologue, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, note this, the things that must soon take place. He made it known to the, his angel, to his servant, John, and bore witness of the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then he gives one of the many blessings in the book of Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So there's a special blessing there for Reese today that he read aloud the words of this prophecy, and a blessing there for those of you that heard parts of this prophecy. And if you would jump down to verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit, note the word, on the Lord's day, first day of the week, the Lord's day. Christians have been recognizing that day as special from the beginning. Aren't you glad Paul or John didn't skip being in the Spirit on the Lord's day? And then, and I heard, and, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd help us now. Lord, I pray that you'd help me, and you know I am ill-equipped to handle this passage, and um, Lord, I just pray that you would nourish your people with it. I pray that you'd encourage us. I pray that we would um, follow what you'd want us to be, that we'd be a church with big ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, one of my favorite things to do in the time that I've had here at Emmanuel has been um, uh, the 
school chapels for our, our Christian school that we have here, Manual Christian School. And um, we have younger kids and then the upper school. And, and to be honest and just be transparent, I, I really like the little kid chapels more than the big kid chapels. They weren't as hard. To, they laughed at my jokes. So just to be really honest, they laughed at my jokes. And the, the big kids groaned, uh, you know. And um, um, anyway, um, but there's different little things you do to try to get little kids, to younger kids, elementary age kids to listen. You know, you like eyeballs. And then they would all yell. Click. Oh, I was waiting on Nora to yell. Click. No. no. I'm, not, I'm just teasing you, Nora. The other ones are downstairs. But a few years ago, and we've kind of had a little tradition, we've had the groups from the Academy of Arts come do a play. And one of the things that they do uh, when the kids are all in a room and they're getting ready for the thing, I'm going to take a sip here, excuse me, is they would do this. They would say, hey, 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 listen up, listen up. And then all the kids would respond in unison, which is like this chorus speaking, hey, 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 listen up, listen up. And then they go, and they kind of listen, and you can just see their eyes and ears just kind of opening up. And so we kind of adopted that as how we began chapel with the little kids. They'd all, they're over on this side, and they're kind of in their rows all the way to the, almost to the back, all uh, the lower grades. And, um, and they're kind of they're chit-chatting and bugging their friends and stuff like that. And then we'd come to the front, and we'd say, hey, 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 listen up, listen up. And they would all, and that was my favorite part, was when they all chanted back, hey, 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 listen up, listen up. And it was this idea that we're ready to listen now. Right, and um, and in a sense, I want to just come to the church today and say, "Hey, hey, hey! Listen up, listen up!" Because that's what Jesus is saying to the churches here. Um, my mother-in-law would often say when we're talking and the kids are around, she'd say, "There are big ears here," and and that was kind of that. There are there are kids around and kids have big ears, not in the sense of grandpa ears. My grandpa had the biggest ears in the world. They went on for like miles and. Anyway, he, big ears, but um, when, we, so when we say we want to be a church with big ears, we want to be a church that listens and big ears in the room. We want to be all ears, and um, so I remember hearing often, why do you have two ears and only one mouth? So you can listen twice as much as you talk, right? That's a good advice, and I don't know if that's scientifically proven, but you know, it, 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 it preaches well to kids, right? So that's what, so here's the situation. We're in the book of Revelation, and there is um, persecution arising. Many of the churches have been planted throughout the, the, the known world, and specifically in Asia and Asia Minor. Paul has been to many of them. He has been there, uh, it, it, depending on how you're dating, the book of Revelation, most put it in about in, in the 90s AD. It was when Paul is on Patmos and writing this fat last book of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's authoritative, inspired. But God, in that inspiration, used a human agent in John to give us his inerrant, infallible, inspired word. And so about 90 AD, and so if we look back in like Galatians and uh, Ephesians and some of these, when these things, going back to the book of Acts, Paul is last in Asia Minor in the 60s, so around 60 AD, something like this. And it seems like the churches in Asia Minor are doing really well at that time. I mean, they have issues, and they have problems, and Paul's addressing some of those in the epistles, the letters in the New Testament. And then in 90... When Paul's writing this letter to these, these letters to these churches, there's a lot of issues going on. And so there is church decline. There is sickness. There's plateau. There's, um, 
divisions. There's things like this. And I want us to see in this as we approach these, these ch- two chapters in Revelation, and I'm really what I'm hoping to do is just to kind of give an overview and let you dive into some things later. This really could be a series in itself. Um, uh, seven weeks would be a great series. Uh, and, but um, is to see that there is nothing new. That the church has always be, been wrestling. Because you might think, man, you know, we're transitioning. Uh, what do you do? And there's issues and whatnot. Wouldn't it be so cool? And this is where we believe in that if we're Bible people and we believe in biblical Christianity and the sufficiency of the Bible, you might think, wouldn't it be cool if there was like somewhere that we could find how Jesus would talk to a bunch of churches about different issues they were facing? Oh, well, there is. And it's right here in the Bible in God's sufficient word. He sufficiently gave it to us and it's right there. And so um, church decline, church sickness, church change are nothing new. But it's how we respond. How, how we determine, what, what, that will determine whether a church keeps its lampstand, loses its lampstand, all those things. And so I'm going to contend today that at least the first four or five chapters of the book of Revelation are just as much about church revitalization as they are end times. Revelation is just as much about church revitalization. And so as you come to uh, uh, the book of Revelation, there, there are different ways people can approach it. And of course, and as you know, there's different positions that people come, particularly like on the millennium or things like this. Um, and, you know, I, I like to tell people when it comes to differing views on the book of Revelation and the apocalypse and uh, tribulation and the millenniums to not really worry about it. It's not like it's the end of the world or anything. Um, <laughs> it re- literally is. <laughs> anyway, but how someone approaches that and the visitors are all like, this guy's jokes are so dry. Um um, but how someone approaches it, we all have lenses by which we approach everything. We have presuppositions. We have um, a, a, a worldview that we approach everything. And when you read any passage, you're going to look at it. Into, and so there's, there's primarily four different ways that people read uh, the book of Revelation, and they have throughout history. And, um, and then there's kind of a mixture of that. So the, the first was what's called the preterist view. And their preterist basically means this happened beforehand. And these are folks that would see that a lot of the things in Revelation literally happened before uh, 70 AD when Di- the, the empire uh, Diocletian, they took down the, the temple and everything in Jerusalem. And all these things happened in the first few centuries uh, with you know different things in the church and uh, things going in with uh, Rome and persecutions and things like this. That's the preterist view, and there's some different splitters of that, partial preterists and things like this. Then there's a, a view that someone's would, people would look at the book of Revelation, and they call it, the, it's a historic, a historicist view. And these are folks that would see the book of Revelation as kind of a, a, a timeline of the rest of the church age. And so they would see these seven churches uh, in Asia Minor as kind of an outline of different ages in the church. And so you'd start in Ephesus and of course, and then we're in Laodicea. And so, and so you'd see that. But the problem with that view is, well, 
Is the church in China right now a Laodicean type church? Is the church in Sudan right now like that or in Egypt that's undergoing persecution? Are they really rich and increased in goods and acting like they have need of nothing? Um, uh, no. And so, so there's some of that. And the, 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 so this view would even see some of that going on in the church age. And so I don't, and I, I don't necessarily think those two are right, mainly because of it's amazing how phrases, simple sentences and simple phrases can solve the problem of what would be three-inch books debating over. Um, that the verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants the things that must take place. And that's where it comes to this other view. There's an idealistic view that it's everything's a symbol and things like that. There's this ideal idea. And then there's the view that it's a futurist, that there's a future uh, yet to come. And that's where I land is that there is, it's a prophetic thing of things yet to come, some things that have happened, some things that are, and then there are folks that mix those together. So, um, definitely chapter, I would hold that chapters 6 through 22 of the book of Revelation are prophetic. And so, um, but where, where I want to go about this being, I want to focus on the church revitalization side of the book of Revelation and these, for, these chapters 2 and 3 today. That to the churches, there was this message of hope. There had been persecution already arising and problems and decline in the church. And there's this message, this broad message of hope. That God is sovereign. And that he is in control of all the events of history. The fact that he is telling the end from the beginning. That he is predicting what's going to happen and he's declaring these things and seeing these things and writing them down. Wherever you land in all the different things and and understanding all the different complex things in the book of Revelation. The overall message that Jesus Church and that you as a, a part of the body of Christ should get is that you should be hopeful that God is sovereign. That he is in control of all events. If he is in control of these huge apocalyptic things, uh, Armageddon and raptures and um, battles and openings and thousand years of reigning and beasts and all these different false teaching and dragons and all this stuff, if he is in control of all of this, don't you think he can handle what's going on in your life and my life and our church's life right now? There's a, tr- there's a huge message of hope for that. So we say, who is Jesus addressing? Well, he's addressing these churches and he's writing. He says to send these to the churches in Ephesus. Now, obviously this is not password protected email that no one else has access to. These churches are reading each other's mail here. So the mailman's in trouble, right? Um, there's some mail fraud, right? Um, no, no, no. It was meant to be. God intended for these letters to be passed around to these churches. So he's writing them through. And he speaks of a few different symbols here at the beginning. 7, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand. That these are in Jesus' right hand. Jesus holds his churches and his servants in his churches in his hand. Isn't that an awesome thought? And the seven golden lampstands and seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus is writing to these churches. And, and, then, and so who is he writing to? He's writing to the churches. And this lampstands is the, the function that the churches bear to be the light, a light-bearing function. 
And Jesus gives a strong warning where he says to some of these churches, if you don't do these things, I'll remove your lampstand. It's a sobering thing. And then to whom is he addressing specifically when he's talking to the seven churches? It says to the messenger or the angel. And, and, and you could say that there's a specific angel assigned to every church. And most people assign that the word, the, the word messenger there is the, the, the speaker. So this would be to the primary pastor, speaking teacher, speaking teaching elder of that, the, the, kind of that, that, that vocal spokesman there to the angel, the church of this. That's where most people would land on that, and I'd concur with that as well. And then if you'll note, as, as you look through verse chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, these seven churches, you'll see there in chapter 2, to the church at Ephesus, Ain't to the angels I write these things. And if you'll look down, there's this repeated phrase in each one. It's where I'm getting the title of the message today. Verse 7. He, and it's not just in Revelation. It's also in other portions of Scripture in Isaiah and in, in Psalms. Verse 7 of chapter 2. He who has ear to hear, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To Smyrna, chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To Pergamum, verse, chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then to Thyatira, in, in chapter 2, and verse um, 29. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then to Sardis, in chapter 3, verse 6. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then to Philadelphia, in chapter 3, verse 13. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then to Laodicea, in chapter 3, in verse 22. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So church, be a church with big ears. And what he's saying here, he who has ears. So God, there is a, and we don't want to dive into this weed too, into this ditch too much, but there is a sovereign act of God of opening up deaf ears and giving ears to the, uh, eyes to the blind and ears to the dumb and he, the, he who has ears to hear, and what that is, well, here's how I take that, is that in every church, there are those, there are some, those that have ears to hear. And this is what you would call the core of the church. And everybody knows that in most churches, there's, there's the crowd, there's the congregation, and then there's the core. And I'm saying that he who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says. So the core of the church, hear what the Spirit... And so, church, listen, be sensitive, obey, be humble, pray. God, speak to us and show us, church, what, are, what you would want with your church here. And so, have, be a church with big ears. Jesus is addressing the church, local, specifically these churches. But he's putting it in the Scripture and addressing it kind of in a way that he's also addressing the church universal. And I would contend that the prob- it's not like every church only has one set of problems. You know, it's often layered. My life, I have lots of problems. I, mean, I have different layers of problems. I mean, you can pick, pick a different day of the week and a different problem that comes out of me, right? And, and, and I know you can be like, well, look how bad you are. I can't believe it. But you're the same way. So, you know, we're just all sinners here, right? And, and so, and you could do an every, so you could look at the problems in each of these churches and probably find them, 
you know, most of them in, in every, any day of the week at any church you could find. And so there is a sense in which he's, yes, he's addressing those specific churches, but he's also addressing the church universal for all of us. So hey, be a church with big ears, and I should have turned my phone off. Okay. Um, and so there's a description, and it's almost like if you got a report card, and um, you get a report card, and you, you see how you're graded. And it's a sense in which Jesus is kind of doing an evaluation of these churches. Here's what you've done well. Here's where you're found wanting. And here's what you need to change. It's an evaluation. It's a, it's a job review or something like that. And the important thing for the church to do is to recognize what's on the test. Because, you know, when Jesus evaluates a church, he, he, he goes to, what was our great command? What was our great commission to make disciples? Was it to, to glorify God by making disciples, to worship him, to be exalting him, to be um, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, the, to do all these things. He didn't come to these churches and say, hey, how well did you guys run a business meeting? Or how great was the, you know, the flowers in the lobby or, or the, the, the program you had? Or how many were you running? How many are you running? You know, what, what are you running out there? That's not what's on the evaluation card. So, so you know, when, when I was in school and the teacher said, this isn't going to be on the test, you know what I did? Not really listening, right? Uh, and, and so it's like, well, none of the, the things that, the metrics often that we look at, they're not on the test. They're not what we're being evaluated on. Um, and so, so he says to Ephesus, he, Jesus gives it this, I love this because the gospel's so intertwined with it because Jesus is talking about how the gospel of, and he, he gives so many allusions to his resurrection um, and him being there and the gospel of Jesus because this is the church is united with Jesus and his gospel. And so he reminds us of who he is. He also gives kind of a, um, a description of himself and then an evaluation of the church. So to Ephesus in chapter two, verses one through seven, he says he is the one who holds the seven stars, and walks among the lampstands. Jesus speaks of himself when he says to Smyrna at the end of chapter 2, he is, I am the first and the last, he who died and came to life again. So his death and resurrection. Um, and, and to Pergamum, he, when he says in chapter 2, verses 12 and 17 to 17, he says, he has a sharp two-edged sword. And when he says he's um, to Thyatira, he says of himself, he says he has eyes like blazing fire and feet like burnished bronze. This is our Jesus. To Sardis, he says he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To Philadelphia, he says he is the holy one and the true and holds the key of David, the David's throne, David's kingdom, the kingdom that will last forever. And then to Laodicea, he says he is the amen, meaning the first and the last, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. So church with big ears, Jesus says to each of these churches, he's the one who holds it. He is the first and the last. He has this flaming two-edged sword. He has eyes blazing like fire. He holds the spirits and the stars. He holds the key to, to them. He is the ruler of creation. He is the amen, the firstborn, the end. This is who he is. He describes himself as this. And then he gives an evaluation of the church. He commends them, and he also gives them. So to Ephesus, he says to Ephesus here, um, and, and, and it's already 1123, so I I, I want to just encourage you to read, read these things. He gives kind of a mixed um, uh, good and bad summary to them. 
that they're good to their sound doctrine and endurance, but you've lost your first love. And he says you need to go back to your first love. Um, remember, and the solution then, and you, there's, a, there's a, the solution here. So big ears, listen, here's the solution. I mean, there's always been decline and plateau and need for revitalization. The solution is remember and repent. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, verse 5 of chapter 2, and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the solution is to repent. To Smyrna, he gives them this kind of a positive that they're afflicted and poor. And be faithful. He encourages them to be faithful. So church with big ears, he says to be faithful. Endure. You're going through persecution, you're going through something hard, and the promise is he will be, they will be given a crown of life and will not hurt in the second death. And then to the next church at Pergamum, he said that he has the two-edged sword. He commends them for holding fast in Christ's name and not denying their faith. But he gets on them for allowing false teaching. You guys have endured persecution, but you tolerated. You create a culture in any organization by what you celebrate and what you allow or tolerate. You can go to a business, a church, a school. What you celebrate and what you tolerate will create your culture. And this is why discipline and, um, and, and standard and uh, qualifications for leadership is so important. But what you tolerate, they had tolerated false teaching. So their review was mixed. And then to Thyatira, they commends them for their deeds and perseverance. He tolerates, they also tolerated false teaching. So he says to them to hold fast and keep Christ's works till the end. Um, and then to Sardis, he gives them a negative review. He says that they have dead works, that they have unfinished deeds, that they're spiritually asleep, and they need to wake up. And they need to keep the word. They need to repent. He tells them that to Philadelphia. He gives them a positive one. He says you've patiently endured. You've kept God's word, and you're doing that. So hold fast to that. You're persecuted and weak, but be faithful in Jesus' name. Listen to this, church. And in the Laodicea, it gives this very negative review that they're lukewarm, they're spiritually blind, they're corrupt, they're naked, they're lukewarm. The solution is to buy gold and white garments and uh, salve from Christ, be zealous and repent, and God will pour out His Spirit. And you know, there's that passage there to the church at Laodicea. And we often apply this to salvation and evangelism. And, and there's a sense in which that that's true, but that's not what the context is saying. When he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him or sup with him and he with me. Do you know that the, the context there is not inviting an unsaved person to invite Jesus into their heart. It's Jesus standing on the outside of the church Asking to come in. Doesn't that like kind of twist that for you and change that? It's to the church at Laodicea. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So the church with big ears says we want Jesus to be here. 
I mean, if Jesus isn't part of this, we're just the Rotary Club with music then. I mean, what's the point, right? And so he gives these things. He gives these lessons. He gives these things to the church. And so I want to kind of summarize this teaching. And it's a big overview in chapter 2 and 3 um, are yours to, to um, chew on this week and think on. But here's, I want to give some application. That church decline or plateau um, is a trend that happens everywhere. And we, it's, it's something we're going to encounter no matter where. Now I want you to think about this. These seven churches in Asia, in Asia, in Revelation. Are any of these churches in existence today? No. So I want you to think about this. Some of these, and this is, some of this is to, to, to kind of be a challenge and a rebuke, and it's also to kind of take some weight off of some of your shoulders right now, Okay. Think about this, that some of the churches that were planted by the apostles dissolved within a generation of them being there. So 60 AD, 90 AD, okay? And we might think, if something happens bad, well, that pastor, those deacons, that leadership, those teachers, whatever. If this happened to some of the apostles, with the churches some of the apostles planted. Give yourself a break, right? And also, if this happened to some of the churches that the apostles planted, what makes you so special to think that you're somehow inoculated to any of these trends? We shouldn't make it a business venture, Um. And also, so, so there's a thought that I want to just throw out there, okay? And also, I want to say that, that there's always, but even in these churches where there's this decline and there's this plateau and there's this thing and these addressing, notice that, that Jesus is addressing even those churches that were in that, planted by the apostles, having problems, and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. That in each of those churches, there are godly people that are Jesus' people that are part of his remnant that have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So anywhere, any church you've ever heard that declined or grew or doesn't exist anymore, there was a remnant there of God's people, and it served a role in Jesus' kingdom. There's always been a remnant, those that have ears to hear. In each church, there is a core of faithful believers that need to listen to what the Spirit says. And here's what he says. So let's be a church with big ears. So we teach sound doctrine. So Ephesus... Be like Ephesus, get back to your first love. The first thing, the main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing, not secondary things, not secondary things in the relationship. And you know what? You found this in your relationships. You found this with your marriages and your kids and things like this. Time goes on and you're worried about everything else. And you're like, you know what? I'm just not, it's not the relationship. We're worried about the mortgage and the car payment and the this and the that. And it's like, what has happened to just cardboard box pizza picnic it didn't have to be so complicated just get back to the raw of the relationship get back to the main thing what's on the scorecard go in all the world and make disciples that's the end 
Not did you have the best VBS in town? Did you have the best this? Did your music knock your socks off everybody else? Did you make disciples of Jesus Christ? The engine. I mean, you, you know how it is. Sometimes you have a car and, 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 and you know, the engine's shot, nothing's working, but you want to make sure it looks really nice. And it's just dead. And that's one of the reasons why one of the churches here had a bad reputation. They had a reputation of being alive, but really they were dead. I remember one time I was in high school, and this guy um, had like an old Ford pickup. And, and you know how when you're in high school, um, well, at least not, maybe, maybe you don't. But like uh, when people, they'd have like a $300 car that had like a $700 sound system in it. I'm talking like in, in my day, you know. And, and, and every time the, ba- the wolfer kind of, it was a, you could just hear the alternator screaming and the headlights dimming because the sound system was, you know. You know what I'm talking about? I remember I had this buddy in high school that uh, he had this truck that I think he'd gotten from his dad. And he turned the air filter upside down so that it made this sound. And he told all of us that he had a supercharger on his truck. And there were people that believed him, you know, and we're like, because he, he rev, you know, and you're like, whoa, I mean, that's just like, you know, what was that Chuck Norris movie where he had the supercharger on his truck, you know, and he could just, you know, climb through mountains and everything. It's like, that's what he's got, right? And, um, and um, you know, we can be so enamored with making things look so good that we forget about the engine. So Ephesus, get back to the first love. Um, Smyrna, persevere. Hard times are coming, but there's a crown. Be faithful through it. Smyrna, uh, I'm sorry, Pergamum, repent of idolatry. There was idolatry. We all have idols in our heart. The things that we get excited about, our emotions tell us what, our, what, what we get most anxious and emotionally. I know for me, it reveals what the idols of my heart are and what I'm really clinging to and things that we put in the place of God. And often our idols started out as something that was fine and good and we turned it into something else. So I want to give a couple, and I'm not, I'm not picking, and I don't have anything in particular in mind. But sometimes we, can, we need to repent of idolatry, and sometimes our preferences can become an idol to us, you know? And I have preferences, and you have preferences. And some of our preferences are infused by something that happened to us. Like there are certain things or a translation of the Bible or a certain style of music or style of preaching or style of church when God did a unique work in our heart. I know I have times like that in my, my life um, that, you know, I, God really used like camp or certain things in my life. And when, I, when someone might change something about the camp or how it's structured or whatever, I'm like, oh, and I'm like, wait, that's just my preference. I have a preference there. And so church, we, sometimes one of our, some of our idols are preferences. Well, I can't believe that, you know, Bart and Dick picked, you know, this color bulletin cover instead of that or what you know and you're like it's just a preference and you know what being part of a body a family is you know what being part of a family is that means when I go to a family meal there will be something there that I don't like that somebody else does and that's okay and I think I've told you stories sometimes sometimes there'd be a song we'd be singing and I'd be like I don't really know this one and I'm just kind of standing there and I'm kind of reading the words and then I kind of glance over and I see Tammy singing out or, or, or Teresa worshiping the Lord in it and, or what, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I like this song now because my sisters, we're in this together, right? And that's part of what it is that we need to kind of just, just repent of our idolatry of, of worshiping preferences or worshiping the past 
Tom Rainer talks about this in one of his books that um, when there's decline, often a recurring theme is when a church just worships the past. And um, I heard a great phrase recently that the past is just to be a rudder, but not an anchor. Your past is a good rudder for the ship, but it shouldn't be the anchor of the ship. It shouldn't be something that holds you back. It's something to be a rudder that kind of keeps you steady and keeps you firm. But don't worship. And, and that might be, sometimes the past can become an idolatrous thing. Um, and um, uh, I think in one of Rainer's book, he talks about how there was this church that had closed its doors. And they went into the church and someone said, well, what happened? He says, well, I think here, I'll let you see. And they went to one room in the church and the door was locked and had a dedication signed to a particular family. They'd given the money to, to decorate that particular room and they were the only ones that had the key to it. And the church had been closed for some while, but the, that room was, was, was perfect. And it was worshiping. Now, I'm all for honoring people that have donated and given and recognizing and show honor to whom honors do. But when we worship, when we get to where that's what we're stuck to, or, you know, or we, can, we can never, you know, do this with the kids because we have this old flannel graph thing that, you know, we can't change, you know. No, 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 no. So we can, we need to repent of idolatry. And sometimes there's other idolatry. Uh, and not, it's not just those things, past or preference or whatnot. Those are just two that I thought of as I was looking through this. Thyatira, he says that he has against them. They tolerated something. They tolerated, they tolerated sexual sin in the church. Corinthians talks about this. That it, the, uh, there is a vigilance. We live in an overly sexualized society. That there, we do not tolerate, and you want to, and everybody's struggling, and everybody has lost, and everybody's, and everybody's on their own battle. I get that. But the church is not a place to tolerate leadership that might be involved in pornography, not a place to tolerate flirtatious attitudes with people that are not your spouse, not a place to tolerate just, oh, that's what teenagers are going to do. They're going to do, 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 do. No, we don't tolerate sexual sin in the body of Christ. We love people too much. We love them so that they're welcome and to be part of, but love them too much to let them stay that way in a way that would ruin their life and the testimony of Jesus' church. And then to Sardis, they're dead, they're quiet. He says to wake up. And then... And, and then to Philadelphia, he charges them to don't slander or squander the opportunity you have. And, and then to Laodicea, this charge to the church to don't be lackadaisical. Be zealous. I, I mean, be passionate about something. I, I mean, like Paul would say, to, 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 be, to be zealous and, and whatever, you, whatever you find to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Put your heart into it. Do it for God's glory. I mean, you want to give your life to something that's bigger than yourself. You don't just want to be along, went through the motions, and I attended church there, and blah, blah, blah. You know, no. You want to give yourself to making a change in someone's life. Be zealous. Don't be so lackadaisical about it. And then, so, uh, and then, so, so this is the challenge to these churches. So we've seen this overview, these challenge, the warning. But here's where I want to close with giving us some hope. The gospel, Jesus reminded these churches of the gospel and what he was, how he held keys, his death and his resurrection, how he was dead and is now alive. This is what brings the body, the gospel of Jesus Christ together. 
But I want you to go with me now to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Because here we are, the letter, this, this book of Revelation starts off with this commendation, the commendation and evaluation of the churches. And Revelation is just as much about church revitalization as it is end times. So Revelation starts off in the book of Revelation about this stuff of these churches. And in the end of Revelation, we see this picture. I'm going to read some portions to you in Revelation 21 and 22 of the church in her glory. So I want you to see verse tw- chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers I will have this this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and faithless and detestable and murderers and the sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I want you to note this. Here we go. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride. When you hear that, this is the church. This is the church triumphant. The wife of the Lamb. He gave, he died for his church. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out from heaven. And God having the glory of God in its radiance and his most rare jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates. And on the north, three gates. And the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so he gives this triumphant thing. I want you to jump down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for it is the temple of the Lord, the Almighty. And the city has no need of the sun, or the moon shall shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it, and its gates will never shut by day, and there will be no night there, and they will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And so this is the bride. Those that have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the bride, the church. This is the church triumphant. And so I hope that there is a, an encouragement in this, that even in the, that Revelation starts off with these challenges and warnings to these churches and ends by showing the church triumphant. And so, yes, some of the churches in, in Asia, their lampstand may have been taken away from them. And there's been churches that have had that happen throughout millennia. But you know what? The church, the universal church, the body of Christ marches on. And there's also a warning that to say, hey, if you don't want that lampstand to be taken away, Jesus gave what to do. He gave the solution. Remember your first love. Remember, do the first things. Strengthen the things that remain. Do the works done at first. If you don't want to have that lampstand, the solution, he said, was to repent to Ephesus, he said, to Pergamum, he said, to Sardis, he said. He said to all those three churches, repent. He said to, to hold fast your faith, to persevere through the hard times, and to be zealous for working for the Lord. And so be a church with big ears to listen to those solutions that Jesus would have for his church. There was always a remnant in every church, those who have ears to hear. And so in each church, there is a core of faithful believers that need to listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And may God, by God's grace, would we be a church with people with big ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, I'm thankful for this, this book, that, particularly the book of Revelation, that is, it's so like challenging and, and humbling and humiliating and, and makes us feel so small and, 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 and chides us, but also gives us this huge hope that you are sovereign over everything, that you're, you're, you're in control, that you work it straight, these huge events in history and that, that, that nothing is out of your hand, that you hold the lampstands, you hold the stars, you hold the angels in your hand and you hold Emmanuel Baptist Church in your hand and you hold everyone in this room in your hand and we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for those here that may not know Christ. Lord, I pray that you would burden and convict them and we pray all of this. And I'm not going to say amen yet, but I want to get your heads bowed and eyes closed, and I want to give a challenge. You, you heard in there that those that you know, were liars, thieves, adulterers, sexually immoral, were not, will be cast in the lake of fire, that there is punishment for sin. We are all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And he said there that those that would be saved would be those that have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we've talked about the church and the churches in Revelation today. But churches are made up of individuals. And the church is made up of individuals that have believed on Jesus. And so I want you to know, if you're here under the sound of this voice, that if you have not believed on Jesus, you are invited, you are compelled, you are called, you are um, pled with to believe on Jesus, to repent of your sin and depend upon him that you could have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and be saved. And if you've never done that, I'm inviting you to do that today. Father, 
Would you take these words and use them how you would will to your people? In Jesus' name, amen.